Well, good morning. It was good singing this morning, wasn't it? Does the music set your heart ready to hear the preaching? I hope it does. Appreciate the guys they sang in both services this morning. So I got a double blessing to hear them twice. Ethan, appreciate you serving the Lord by using that beautiful voice you've got. Well, let's open our Bibles to a difficult chapter to find. Genesis chapter 1. going to do something different today. I'm going to sit down to preach, and uh, that'll work for me. So all you got, stand up and listen, okay? <laughs> now we won't do that to you. But uh, I continue to struggle with some leg issues. The VA is helping me out with some uh, electronic devices that send little impulses that keep me upright, but my legs get tired, and after the first service, I told Zach, you better put that stool right behind me. I'll either sit on it or fall back onto it, one or the other will happen. So. We're not going to read the uh, chapter 1 as a text, but uh, I hope that you'll kind of go through it as we look through this message. Uh, the message I'm going to share with you this morning has been percolating in my heart for the better part of a year or more, I would say. I'm a a guy who kind of likes the big picture view of things, the 30,000 foot view. Uh, I like to put things in perspective. Uh, We often hear about uh, learning the Bible verses in their context. What does that do for us? It gives us a better understanding of what they they mean. Uh, We hear people talk about their worldview, and we have a a biblical worldview here. And so what... uh, the Lord was doing in my own heart and life was uh, kind of showing me and growing me in this this area of the big picture. And the title of the sermon today is Four Chapters That Will Change Your Life. And it has to do with the big picture. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see the beginning of things before the presence of sin has its effect. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, we see God restore all things to what his original intent was in creation. And sin isn't present in those two chapters. So two chapters in the beginning of the Bible really teach us what the will of God was initially. And... It confirms it with what he recreates, you might say, in the last two chapters of the Bible. Everything in between is tainted by sin. And if you can do any Bible study you'd like with that perspective in mind, it's really going to help you. And that's kind of the intent of, of the message I hope that these chapters will set you on a course of discovering for yourself the answers to life's three most important questions. You know what they are, don't you? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Well, these these chapters will shape your perspective. They will help you in your worldview. 
Our source to answer the questions this morning is Almighty God Himself and His unchangeable Word. It's amazing, isn't it, that God's Word is entirely consistent and trustworthy. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's settled. What God has said is settled. It's the truth. And the Bible says in Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord God, I change not. He's not going to change his mind about what he said. That has relevance to us because we can learn and build our lives based on the truths and principles in this book and understand that halfway through the game of life, God's not going to change the rules on us. He's consistent. So in these chapters, he reveals to us what he intended in his creation, and he confirms that intention by restoring his creation to its original condition, sinlessness. Man, can you imagine that? It's hard for us even to imagine that, isn't it? What makes these chapters unique is the lack of the presence of sin and sin's influence and consequence for mankind. Sin does not enter the world until Genesis chapter 3, and it makes its exit in Revelation chapter 20. So it's unmistakable to see what God's will was and is, for mankind. If that's what he intended in the beginning and that's what he restores it to in the end, what do you think he wants in between? You don't have to be a rocket science scientist to answer that question. He wants the same thing. So it's kind of a before and after look at, at God's will for mankind. And my hope is that this message will sort of whet your appetite enough that you will embark on a journey of discovery for yourself to the answers for these very serious life questions for yourself. So look with me at Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at this briefly with, uh, with the first question in mind, where did I come from? Uh, well, the Bible here starts by saying, in the beginning, so that's obviously a good place to start, in the beginning, right? It'll help us answer that. And by the way, that presupposes the pre-existence of God. Uh, It was God who was already there who made the beginning. That's kind of a hard concept for us to imagine. But uh, in the beginning, God decided that he would set a course of time for his creation and, and ultimately human history. But God's eternal. He's always been and he always will be. God's creation, what God said here in Genesis 1 is evidenced by what you and I see every day, the creation. He speaks creation into existence. Can you imagine that? Let there be light. Boom, there was light. Let there be plants on the earth. Boom, there's a bunch of plants. Full-grown garden. Let there be animals. All those little puppies running around, right? What a beautiful picture that would be. Well, in 131, he pronounces his creation that it was all very good. 
What God created was very good. It was something that he enjoyed, and it's something that we can enjoy. What did he create in Genesis chapter 1? He created light and darkness. That is, the days and nights. We kind of take that for granted, don't we? The fact that there's light and darkness. and uh, You know, I, if I were a betting man, and I'm, I'm not, but I would bet that it gets dark tonight. <laughs> and tomorrow morning it'll get light. You know why we can bank on that? Because God's word is forever settled in heaven. And he's not going to change his mind about it. The Bible tells us that he made the evenings and the morning. They were part of a complete day. It's always been like this. Some people confuse a a, a verse in the New Testament that talks about a day with the Lord is as a, a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. That's simply teaching us that Time doesn't really matter to God. But here he's, he's creating 24-hour days. He created the atmosphere, the heavens, the solar system. Uh, we have a beautiful view from our family room of the sunsets. And every day that we look out there, we can see in the heavens the beauty of the sunset that God created. Some of you have the advantage maybe of a a view of a sunrise. But that that is a testimony to his creation. The Bible says that he made the waters and the dry land, the planet earth and the seas. Uh, Those who might like to to swim or hike uh, were out there in what God created. He made the plant world, the, the grass, the herbs, trees of all kinds. Uh, we were just with our grandkids in, in Virginia and oftentimes uh, talk about little rhymes and stuff with them. And uh, I'm sure you've all heard Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? How does your garden grow? You ever, you ever think about the creation of God as he created these, these plants, the herbs, the trees and so on? What you can begin a study on in, in that chapter are, is a study of genetics. How one's, one, generation, uh, one generation's genes and traits are, are passed on to the next. Uh, both Jerry and I grew up in northern Illinois. That's a seed corn country. And uh, DeKalb corn was not too far from where we live, their home office. And the genetic studies that those guys go through to determine what's going to be the best kind of seed corn and uh, develop the, you know, the most yield and whatever else they're looking for. It's pretty fascinating science when you think about it. But you know what? God created that. The lights in the heavens, he said, the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. And then it says, and he made the stars. It's almost like, He made the sun, and he made the stars, and it was like, whoa, that's very good. I'll put some stars out there, too. (laughs) Couldn't you almost visualize God just having a ball doing that? It says that they were created for signs, seasons, days, and years. It's amazing how faithfully the days and weeks and months go by, isn't it? 
and the signs that we take from them. You know, the concept of red in the morning, sailors take warning, is in the Bible. We can kind of read the signs by nature, what, what God created. The animal world, the species, and God made them, and they were to procreate, they were to fill the world. He made the sea creatures, the birds, the land animals. Today we identify those in five distinctive groups as, as being the amphibians and birds and fish and mammals and reptiles, all producing offspring after their kind. Our pastures right now are beginning to be filled with the beautiful little foals of a stallion and a mare, the progeny of a stallion and a mare. What a, what a beautiful sight that is. It's interesting, too, in the pre-flood era, we understand there were dinosaurs. And uh, some people don't believe that they really existed, but there's fossilized proof that they did. And I remember being in a creation science uh, seminar one time, and the guy had with him living reptiles that were small, And uh, he said, you know, one thing about reptiles is they never stop growing during their lifetime. And so post-flood, we don't live that long, but pre-flood, remember, everybody and everything lived a lot longer. Oldest man to live, Methuselah, 989 years. Wow. Wow. that kind of helps us understand where maybe the dinosaurs were just reptiles that kept growing and growing and growing. They kept them in Jurassic Park. So, I, I guess that's what we may learn. All the living creatures that God created were to multiply and fill the earth. That was God's intent. And then in 26 and 27 of chapter 1, is the creation of man, Adam, the first man. And it tells us that he was made in the image of God. He was made in the likeness of God. He was unique above all other forms of life. And I think one of the most unique things is that he was created to have a relationship with God and fellowship with God unlike any of the other living creatures. Also, you learn in that two-verse passage that he made us gender-specific. Man didn't choose or he didn't declare. God said, and it was so. And he told man to be fruitful and multiply. The idea there was procreation. You know, God's always been a pro-life God. When the seed and the egg connect, a new life is created, a human life, and it, it becomes an everlasting life. Pro-choice, by the way, didn't happen until Genesis chapter 3 after sin entered into human experience for whatever that's worth today. Man was created to have dominion over the animal kingdom. Uh, Some of us have been out to the horse park for the road to the horse the last couple of days and uh, I noticed in one of the the clinics the real special relationship between a, a guy and his horse and how the horse so wanted to please his master. And that word dominion means to subjugate. And so as we watch these men 
train these horses to do what they want them to do. You see God's creation happening right in front of your eyes. But oftentimes we don't, we don't connect the dots that that's, that's part of what God intended. Genesis chapter 1 also talks about our original food source. Herbs, fruits, nuts. That's exciting for all you keto fans. But I'm glad a little bit later he put the beefsteak on the table. And all things are acceptable if they're received with thanksgiving, the Bible says. Genesis chapter 1 alone would really set you on a journey of discovery, wouldn't it? But then we go to Genesis chapter 2. God provides additional detail about his creation in Genesis 2. The establishment of the day of rest, the Sabbath, God says it was created for the man. It's not a day of worship, it's a day of rest for the man. We need the day of rest. You know why? You're waiting, aren't you? Because God said so. (laughs) That's why. He knows. Boy, does he know. Especially the creation of man is addressed in chapter 2 and his intentions for man. We learn that man was created a living soul. He formed man of the dust of the ground. We have a physical body. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You have a physical body and you have a soul. Your soul is your intellect, emotions, and will primarily your rational soul, often referred to. But you are a spirit, the eternal part of you that will live forever and is your connection with God. It's why you can fellowship with God. The things of God are, are not intellectually understood. They're spiritually discerned, the Bible teaches us. Because we're spiritually alive in Christ, we've been quickened, we were transformed from being dead in trespasses and sin to being alive in Christ and our spirit now is alive and the Holy Spirit teaches our spirit the deep things of God. Isn't that amazing? We first learned about that because of Genesis chapter 2. Adam was given responsibility to dress and keep the garden. To work, in other words. This is before sin. Uh, Many times we look at work as a a curse. (laughs) Uh, Well, work became part of the curse, didn't it? The sweat of the brow and so on. Adam was given the command to obey or suffer the consequences. When God made man with a will, he gave him the freedom to exercise that will. And he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there in the Garden of Eden. And he said, you can eat of any tree, Adam, of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat from that tree, you will surely die. In other words, here's what I want you to do. If you disobey, there's a consequence. I better not park there very long, right? Adam also got to name the animals. Wouldn't you love to have been there? 
Several times over the past week or so, I've kind of pictured myself in some of the scenarios here. And I could just see Adam sitting back there on a stump. And uh, these animals occasionally wandering by. And, and Adam is watching. And here comes an animal. And he says, Aardvark! That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Rhinoceros. I wonder what list he was getting the names off of. We've got uh, grandkids that are having babies now, and they go through these books of names and what's the popular names of the day. And I don't think Adam had that list. But he got to name all the animals. Isn't that amazing? And then we learn about the Garden of Eden. God placed Adam in the ideal environment. The tree of, the life, uh, tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are there. The Bible teaches us in this chapter the four rivers of the Garden of Eden are there. By the way, the Euphrates River, which is one of those four rivers, is still in existence. It's in modern-day Iraq. The Bible tells us of one of the rivers in the region of that river were gold and precious stones Bdellium and onyx stone. We learn in Genesis chapter 2 about the first surgical procedure. Boy, if you don't think that's important. Adam getting ready for surgery, and what, what does God do? He causes a deep sleep to come upon him. Aren't you glad? I mean, I've had a hip and two knees replaced and my gut cut open. I'd hate to have been been awake to do that. We can learn a lot from Genesis 2. We see the creation of the family unit, God's first institution. Eve is the first woman created as a helpmeet to complete Adam. One who helps man fulfill his purpose is the idea of the woman there. The Hebrew word woman is Isha, and it's a feminine noun, wife, woman, or female. A family unit is a husband, male, and a wife, female. And that's the way God intended, and anything else is a perversion of the creation of God. We can see in that chapter, that same context, the relational transition of children from their parents to start their own unique home. They're to leave mother and father and cleave to one another. I heard a preacher uh, teach from this a series on the home, and uh, he had some nice rhyming words to help us remember the lesson. There was a leaving, a cleaving, and then a weaving together. It's a good picture of a home, isn't it? You know what? Our, our homes would uh, learn well from that passage of Scripture what a home ought to be. These chapters show the beginning of everything. The first look at the spousal relationship shows commitment, transparency, authenticity, intimacy. It's all there. So I hope this begins to answer the question, where did I come from? You can, you can begin your own journey here. Dig into this. These two chapters are rich because they set you on a a path of discovery through the whole Bible. 
This is the first mention of these things. But there's much more that God has to say. The creation that we see every day, nature around us, witnesses of the person and work of God, so that mankind is without excuse when it comes to knowing God and fulfilling His will for mankind. Let me read for you what Paul wrote to the Roman church in Romans chapter 1. It speaks to this purpose, by the way. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Why? So that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, that is when they witnessed the works of God, They glorified him not as God. They wouldn't give him credit. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own flesh, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Boy, it's amazing how low a man who rejects God can go. The Bible really clearly teaches us here that man chose religion over a relationship with God. Didn't want the accountability. Didn't want the power of God present in his life. You know God still has the power over all of his creation? There's one sentence in the book of Colossians chapter 1. It's nine verses long that speaks to this. Listen to this. He says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thr- were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, And by him all things consist. He made it all, and he keeps it all running. 
He holds it all together. Think about it. It was God who brought in the flood to destroy the violence and evil that mankind had brought to the earth, saving only Noah and his family. Edward has been teaching us uh, about Joshua. And it was God who one day caused the earth or caused the sun to stand still for about a whole day on the earth. Boy, imagine what that would have been like. You know, a 48-hour day, you might say. God is the one that caused the sun to stand still. It was God who brought the storms and quieted the storms for Peter and his fishing friends. It's God who operates the thermostat of the world, not the global warming crowd, not the climate-changing charlatans. It's Almighty God. He's got that kind of power. What an amazing beginning to set us on a journey of discovery. But let's move to another question. We'll look at question number three. Where am I going? And then we'll come back to question two. So let's understand a little bit about the future. And that moves us out of Genesis 1 and 2 to where? Revelation 21 and 22. If you want to turn there, we'll just make some narrative-like comments of, of these two chapters. This is what God restores all things to. In Revelation 21... By the way, this is after the end of Revelation 20. The lost sinners have been exposed at the great white throne judgment. The description of the judgment is there. They're taken and cast away from the presence of God into the lake of fire. They'll be there for all of eternity, by the way, with the smoke of their torment ascending upward and upward, and there'll be no rest day or night, the Bible says. Awful to think that somebody would end up in the lake of fire. But here in Revelation 21, we realize that we've gone from a perfect earth in the beginning to a corrupt earth that vanishes away, and now a new heaven and a new earth are on the scene. The new Jerusalem descending down out of heaven, and it's amazing description there, including, by the way, the 12 pearly gates. There's been a lot of songs written about those pearly gates, hasn't there? And uh, it's fascinating when you start to look here because the Bible says that each gate was of one pearl. Can you imagine the size of the oyster? Oh, man. That's just some of my warped thinking coming out, but it's what it says. Verse 3 is a fascinating verse, so informative. It's God tabernacling with men. That is, he's there fellowshipping in person with them. Five little phrases in this one verse that tell us that. He says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people And God himself shall be with them and be their God. What an intimate picture that creates for us. 
That's where I'm going to be for all of eternity because I've put my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And our comforting and compassionate God tells us right after that that he's going to wipe away all tears. And death and the prospect of death will no longer be for mankind. Pain, sorrow, suffering, all those things will be gone. The believers now inherit all things that are God's. Amazing thought. Revelation 22 The Bible says the river of the water of life is there, proceeding out of the throne of God. Every time I read that verse, I think of the woman at the well where Jesus met this sinful lady and she was getting a drink of water and he said, Ma'am, if you drink that water, you're going to thirst again, but I can give you water that if you drink, you'll never thirst again. Living water. Here's the source of the living water proceeding out of the throne of God. The Bible says the tree of life is there. The throne of God and of the Lamb is there. The saved ones are there. And they will serve God. That's what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. Serving the Lord. And we're going to be able to see the face of God with no fear of death. You remember when Moses went up into the mountain and the people thought... If if he sees him face to face, he's a goner. We're going to see him face to face. I I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. The promise then, as the Bible closes, is of the soon return of the Lord. And the Bible says that his reward is with him. And there is a promise of blessing for obedience. And then a final invitation is given to act upon the good news delivered in the Scriptures, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says this, if you're a lost person in here this morning, this invitation would be for you. It says, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let's, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. You know what? The Lord is not going to force you to be saved. But he offers you the opportunity, and he invites you with this invitation. It's like he's saying, Get up out of that chair and come. If you make that move, I'll save your soul. Man, what what an amazing thought that is. Where are you going? Do you have a plan to get there? Are you trusting in your own plan? You say, don't worry, I've got this. No, you don't have this. (laughs) It's God's plan Or no plan. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You either come to Jesus or you're headed to the lake of fire. Your choice. You get to exercise that choice. But you'll have to live with the consequences of it forever. So we've looked at where did we come from a little bit? Where are we going? That might answer your question. Let's look at the third question. Why am I here? Again, Genesis 1 and 2 show us what it was like in the beginning. Revelation 21 and 22, what God restores it to. Everything in between those those chapters from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 is the result of sin's curse 
and its impact on humanity. I'll tell you what, that ought to give us a little bit more perspective for life today. I heard a pastor once preach this simple outline about the present dilemma we all face because of sin. He made four points. Because of sin, defeat lies in your future. How are you going to handle it? That's especially true if we have a rebellious and strong-willed spirit against God. We're going to lose the battle. The second point he made was despair is never a solution. Avoid the solution and you prolong the pain is the point he made there. There's a remedy, folks, for our sin. And defense lies in humility. He made this statement, failure is not as important as finishing well. You know, a lot of times when we fail, and we all fail, do we not? How many of you in here have never failed? (laughs) Just Bob. (laughs) We all fail, don't we? In the Olympics for the church this fall, once again, Jason will fail to win the gold medal with his chili. We all fail. And sometimes because we fail, people like to put a label on us, failure. And so we live in despair. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. And we begin to use that as an excuse not to try. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, the Bible says. Despair does not have to defeat you. And then deliverance is the fruit of humility. The point that he made there was, will you let the Lord deliver you? The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus came into this world for one purpose, to seek and to save that which is lost. The reason the Lord Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven and came to Bethlehem's manger and lived a sinless life for 33 years on this earth was to save your soul. You don't have to be lost the rest of your life and for all of eternity. You can come to Jesus today and he'll save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the promise of Scripture. So when it comes to looking back, we can look back at the past and we can learn from it. When we think about the future, we can look forward to it, but we need to live in the present. Living in the present, the way God wants us to live, is not complicated. And it's entirely possible to live God's way. But you're going to have to choose a disciplined life in order to live it. That's why we refer to the disciples as disciples. They were learning in the presence of Jesus to discipline themselves to live the way God wanted them to live. That means there's probably some things we have to quit doing or give up, and there's some things we need to start doing or get on. Paul says so in, in uh, uh, was it Ephesians chapter 4, that we're to put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of our mind, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 
But I'll tell you what, it's, it's not easy if we won't choose to exercise our will and discipline. The world in which we live sends a, a lot of temptation at us. The peer pressure that we face. The constant bombardment of immorality. I mean, we face it every day. You know the good news, folks? Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church. He said, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which we are able, but will also, with the temptation, provide a way to escape. God's promise to you is this. Even though you live in a sinful world, bombarded with the temptations of the world, there's a way for you to say no! And that's what his grace is all about. The word grace, if you, if you would, would use the word enablement in Scripture every time you see the word grace, it'll help you understand it. That's what it means. The grace of God is the enablement of God. I'm saved by grace. That is, I wouldn't be able to go to heaven. I wouldn't be able to have my sins forgiven unless God enabled it. And I couldn't live a godly life today unless God enabled it. The world throws a lot of temptation at us. The flesh we still have that will one day return to dust has appetites. You know what? That's the way God created us. He gave me an appetite so I would eat and my body would be nourished so it continued to operate the way he intended. But I'll tell you what, it's easy for me to let that appetite go out of control eating more or eating something I shouldn't. It's a discipline issue, isn't it? And then the devil, he's always seeking to destroy us. He's real, he's alive, he's the enemy of God. He walketh about, the Bible says, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I've talked to several people who said, well, I'm worshiping the devil. And my comeback to them is, oh, he doesn't want worshipers. He's just trying to kill you. It's just like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, just read your Bible. That's what you'll find out. He's not looking to gather a band of worshipers, folks. He wants to destroy us. So think with me for a moment as we start to wind down here today. We can learn from our past. All of us can learn from the past. In fact, God tells us where to learn from the past. Most of you know this. When I preach from the Old Testament, Romans 15, 4 always is there at the beginning. It says this. Whatsoever things were written aforetime in the past were written for our learning today that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope for tomorrow. You see, we can see how God worked back then. You know what that teaches us? how God works today, because He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So get in the Bible and learn how God dealt in David's life, and that teaches you how He will deal in your life. Learn how He dealt in Moses' life, or Esther's life, or John's life, or Paul's life. It all teaches us how He's working in our life today. And that ought to whet our appetite for the Bible, shouldn't it? But not only can we learn from the past, we can leverage our past. Paul wrote in 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, that we are, as believers, are to comfort those wherewith we have been comforted. Pastor is down comforting the Goins family today. Most of us have been in the situation that uh, Goins are going through, losing a family member or somebody that's we've loved closely and Somebody came along and encouraged us or helped us during that time. And that experience of being comforted now is part of our repertoire. We should use our past, leverage that comfort that we received to comfort somebody else who's going through something right now. That's what God's intent is. But when it comes to the past... We also have to leave it behind. We got to deal with the past, but we don't have to live there. The point there is there shouldn't be unresolved issues that have you bogged down today. Resolve the issue. It might involve seeking forgiveness, it it might involve granting forgiveness, Uh, it might mean that you need to sit down and talk to somebody about a difficulty that just has you stuck in the mud. Friend, you can't live in the past. And God doesn't intend for you to live there. He wants you to live today looking forward to the future. How can you tell if you're living in the past? If there's some unresolved issue that is leading to bitterness in your heart, you're stuck in the past. What should living today look like for the true believer? Well, we ought to recognize the work of God. How God worked in the Bible, that's how he works today. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the Bible says. Romans 10, 17. What, what he's saying there is, it's, it's, remember the the coloring books and the dot-to-dot books we got as little kids. Dot-to-dot, connect the dots and they eventually form a picture, right? That's kind of the concept here. When we can connect a dot of truth from the Scripture with a dot of experience in life that supports that, it builds our faith. Finish this saying for me all together. Ready? What goes around? Oh, you all knew it, didn't you? What chapter and verse is that? It's not in the Bible, is it? It's very popular in culture. But how about this? Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. What goes around, comes around. Same principle, different words. God's truth is true and timeless. We need to recognize the work of God. It's amazing and I, I preached a, a few weeks back on this, when uh, Moses uh, led the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, that generation rejected the promised land, you remember? And then the children of Israel who rejected, they couldn't go into the promised land. So that generation and their children suffered in the wilderness. Now it's time for Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And Joshua takes those children into the promised land and leads them there. And the Bible says in the book of Judges 
that that generation and Joshua served the Lord all their days. And then it says this, But there arose a generation after Joshua who knew not the Lord, neither the works of the Lord. Just like, are you kidding me? Those kids actually saw God at work and didn't know him. Have you seen God at work? I can tell you this, you've seen it. But you might not be connecting the dots because you're not in the book. That's why we need to be in the book. Not because pastor said so. Not so we can get through the Bible chart for a year. This is our life we're talking about. This is your life and my life. We need to recognize the work of God. And then we need to relate to God. That means have a relationship with God. What does that look like? We talk about walking with God. pastor's been preaching a series on it. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We read of others who walked with God. To walk with God is not some mysterious spiritual experience. Walking with God simply means this. It means to order your life with God's truth and influence. That's it. Learn what he says here. Put it to practice in your life. You're walking with God. That's not too difficult for us, is it? And then thirdly, we're to learn the will of God. What is the will of God for you today? He said, well, I wish I knew. The cloud hasn't come by yet. I don't know. (laughs) Now the will of God's right here, folks. This is what God wants us to do. It's right here. You might say it's his last will and testament to us. This is what he said, you do this. Here. Well, we got to read it and understand what he's telling us to do if we're going to do it. You see how these things all fit together into one uncomplicated little package. So if we do this, the end result is that we glorify God. That as we project an accurate opinion as we walk this earth of who God is because we're living God's way. That's what it means to let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You learn this, you put it to practice, and as people observe you, what they should see is God in action. That's what it's telling us. These chapters encourage us to go on a journey to discover for ourselves the answer to these most important questions of life. Four chapters. Four chapters. That if we can master them, they will change our perspective on everything. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we love you this morning. We're so grateful that you've given us your word. Your word is true. Every word of God is pure, the Bible says. 
We've sung this morning about you're always good and you're only good. And you pronounced your creation very good. And your, your word to us is for our good. Help us, Lord, to love it and to learn it and to live it. With our heads bowed this morning and our eyes closed, no one's looking around, please. I want to just ask a couple of quick questions and we'll be dismissed. If there's somebody here this morning that would say, Brother Duffy, I don't know for sure if I'm saved or not. But I want to know. I want to know what God says about my soul and where I will spend eternity. Not trying to embarrass you, but if you're here this morning and that's your desire, friend, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, nobody else looking around, would you just slip up your hand? I'll acknowledge it and you put it right back down. Anybody like that in here? Brother Duffy, remember me in prayer. I want to know for sure I'm saved. Anybody at all? Lord, you've seen our hearts. You, you know our hearts. And I pray that this morning your word will have met the need of every heart that's here. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for you and your word. Help us, Lord, to live the life that you intend for us. Help us to enjoy what you have created. And, Lord, help us to be a blessing to others as we love you and love others and share the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.